But before we get started, let's go ahead and open a word of prayer, and then uh, that way the Lord could be honored and, um, uh, with the message tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the day you've given us. Thank you for the, the uh, presentation that we saw tonight with Master Club and our children and the workers who are working with them. Pray, Lord, you continue to bless them. Bless these young people as they hide your word in their heart, as they strive to serve you. Lord, I pray that you be their parents, thankful for their parents and the investment that they have to bring them to um, Kids Club on Thursday nights. Lord, I pray you bless the message tonight. Pray, Lord, that you would calm my nerves. Lord, that you would be with my uh, thoughts. Lord, help me to say the things you would have me to say. Lord, if there's anything I should not say, Lord, that you would just block my mind from it. Lord, I just pray that you would guide and direct as only you can. In his name we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> How many have ever heard the phrase, I guess it's a, it's a worldly philosophy, you could put it that way, of that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and not seeing results. Have you ever heard that? Okay. So let me ask you this. Would you participate in something that was always exciting? Would you participate in something that was rewarding? You knew you were going to get rewarded. Would you participate in something that was thrilling and exhilarating? Would you continue participating in something that was fulfilling? And not just fulfilling, but was convenient for you. And lastly, would you participate in something if you knew you were going to get recognition? I think several of us in our minds, that all those would say yes. Because that's human nature. But let me ask you this. Would you continue in something if it was tiring and there was no rest? Would you continue being involved in something that was time-consuming? Would you be involved in something that was hard work, that was always laboring, that, in, that the end result was this, it was heartbreaking, even sometimes devastating? Would you continue... If there was no lack of reward or recognition, would you continue in it if it was inconvenient? Let me give you a number. The number is 85. 85%. I just learned this not too long ago. Things we, shouldn't, things we don't want to talk about, we should. And that is this. The importance of children's ministries. Children's ministries, it's exciting, but it's tiring. Children's ministries, it's rewarding, but it's time-consuming. Children's ministries, it's thrilling, it's exhilarating, it's fulfilling, but it's hard work, it's heartbreaking, and sometimes devastating. Children's ministries, at times, can be convenient, but other times, it's inconvenient. That number I gave you, 85%, I just learned at the beginning of, of November, I attended a, a children's conference, loving and leading conference, and a gentleman got up and he said, in one of our workshops, he said, let me give you a number, 85%. What does 85% represent? 85 represents the number of churches across America, regardless of denomination, practice, or belief, that have no exerted or active children's outreach. 85% have no active children's ministry. The Barna survey, um, I think this was a couple years ago, said this, 94% of adult Christians, when asked, said they made a profession of faith under the age of 15. 94%. Let me give you some numbers here. <clears throat> made by the same group, the Barna survey. 
1% of children from ages 0 to 3 have made a profession of faith. 1%. But from ages 4 to 14, 85% have made a profession of faith. As they get older, from 15 to 30, 10%. And then 30 years old and above, 4% have made it a profession of faith. We call this the 414 window. That it's important to reach young people, even more so now in 2022, getting ready to go to 2023, between the ages of 4 and 14. Because here's something that's staggering. I forgot to notate the, uh, to get the, the uh, resource, but I was reading in, in, in a book this afternoon that by the time a child, your average child, reaches eight years old, 75% of how, what they think, what they believe, how they act has already been established and possibly cannot be broken or overruled. Right. Think about that. Consider this, when asked or when surveyed, why, reasons why churches don't have an active outreach for children. The number one reason, finances. It takes too much money. It takes too much money to run a bus. It takes too much money to run a van. It takes too much money to have prizes. It takes too much money to get the curriculum. That's why we don't have children's ministries. Time. Oh, it takes too much time. You see, i got to have my Saturdays for myself. I need rest and relaxation. I need recreation. I need my Sunday afternoon nap. Let me tell you, Sunday afternoon nap ain't going to do it for you. Sorry. It's not a beauty rest. Finances, time, inconvenience. Don't you know what children do? They're loud. They're rowdy. They, they're, 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 they're hard to contain. They're disrespectful. They're entitled. I don't want children in my church because of those reasons. Why is there no children outreach? There's no profit in it. I've heard this personally. Church in Nebraska went to do a VBS. First, they, had, they didn't really have an active outreach. They wanted to do a VBS. And one of the, actually two of the church members said this. Well, what's the, how are the children going to help the church? There's no profit. They're inconvenient. They're not going to bring in tithes and offering. They talk about finances. They talk about time. They talk about inconvenience. They talk about there's no profit. Sometimes it's just because there's no vision. I am not, I, I, because the pastor is a sacred office and because this is the sacred desk, I am not going to bash or, beleaguer or, or, or diminish any pastor's vision. But one of the reasons that churches have, do not have an outreach is there's a failure to see what children are for the future of a church. I've been involved in children's ministries now roughly, give or take, about 20 or so years. Going back to college times and even before when I was a junior and senior in high school. So 20 plus years. <clears throat> and what I've seen is this. Churches who don't have an active outreach for children. They're lifeless. It thrills my heart to sit in a church service. And hear rustling of papers. Hear a little bit of activity. 
because there's life in the church. There's children. It thrills my heart to see that nursery and to hear them cry on it. Okay, yes. Is it, dis- is it distracting at times? Yes, but you know what? Praise God they're in church. Praise God we have a ministry over there. Okay? We have a vision. There are other reasons? Last one, fear. I'm not qualified. I don't have the facilities. I don't have, I don't have the ability to. What if they start coming? What if they do? What is needed in order for a church to have a children's ministry that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord? If you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Number one, to have a children's ministry that is honoring and pleasing to God, to have a children's ministry that is active in outreach, you need to have a right objective. You need to have the right objective. And what I mean by that is this. Churches in 2022... They're full of popping circumstance. They're full of promotion. They're full of, of anything and everything that except what the church was, why God made the church. Why God established the church. He didn't establish it to have a rock band. He didn't establish it to have a coffee bar and say, okay, now let's discuss. What is, uh, what did you find in your devotions today? There's nothing wrong with that on a one-on-one, but there, when, there's a time, when there is a time and a place... To, to be gathered together around God's word, it ought to be honoring and pleasing to him. And too many times churches nowadays are full of those things that are anti-Bible and anti-God. We need to have a right objective. Matthew 28. I get to myself. <laughs> Verses 19 and 20. It says this, Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You see, it's a threefold process. You evangelize, you baptize, and you disciple. Evangelize, baptize, and disciple. And I think for those churches who do have a children's ministry, they do evangelize. We take out the buses. We canvas. We hit areas over and over and over. I can't tell you how many times on a Saturday morning, Brother Sullivan, Brother Matthew, Brother Joshua, myself was, well, let's go here to Oakwood. Let's go over here to Timber Creek. Let's go over to Pebblebrook. And people will say, well, didn't you already hit those? Yes, but we're going to hit them again. What are we doing? We're evangelizing. Okay? Then we bring them in and we teach them and they get saved. And then what do we do? We baptize. But then too many times what happens is this. Yes, they got saved. Go along now, run along. And we don't disciple them. Our Thursday night children's club, we're not going to turn any visitors away. We're not going to turn away any, any child that comes in that's not part of our church. But our number one priority for our kids club right now is this. We're discipling and we're mentoring and we're maturing our young people in the faith so that when they get to be in this in this area, when they get to be in the pew where you are at, they can go out and they can evangelize. And they know what they believe and why they believe it. To have an effective children's ministry, you need to have a right objective. Let me share a little story with you real quick. In 1981, an old preacher in a Dodge van, three on the tree, stopped by a a house, picked up a five-year-old boy, Took him to church. When he took him to church after a few weeks, 
The mom went to church to see what was this all about. The grandma went to church. The aunt went to church. And after a few years, uh, through process and through leading of the Lord, they went to another church where they got grounded in the faith. They all got saved. They were all active members of the church. And this day, that young man is still serving the Lord. His two sisters are active in church. His mom is in church. His aunt and his grandma served in church till they were called home to glory. That young man is standing before you tonight. That's me. All because a pastor stopped by, knocked on the door, said, I want to, I want to take you to church. Was it inconvenient? Yeah, because I know I was a brat. And my wife would tell you I still am. Was it, uh, was, was it hard? Yes. I don't know how old this, this pastor was, but I know when it was cold weather, he had asthma and it was hard on him, but he still came out and took me to church. He evangelized. We need to teach that to our young people. See, when we evangelize, we need to teach them who Christ is. When we did Kids of Palooza this summer, and you can ask Brother Matthew, you can ask Brother Joshua. We brought kids who, when we were teaching about Jesus, we had to start all the way, had to strip it down all the way to the, to the beginning. We talked about miracles of Jesus, and the first night we did, someone said, who? In the United States of America, in the state of Ohio, city of Goshen, where there's churches, Children who question, who's Jesus? Who are you talking about? Part of evangelizing is telling them who he is and what he did. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, The gospel is hidden unto them that are lost. And what we need to do is we need to shine the glorious light of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. How that Christ died uh, on the cross according to our sins, uh, died according to the scriptures. How he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. We need to evangelize. Not only do we need to evangelize, we need to baptize. What's the purpose of baptism? Well, one's the first step of obedience. But two, it's a testimony to everybody out there. I have received Christ. I am a new creature. You know what thrills my heart? Is this. When we had the last baptism we had... Um, with a young person getting baptized on a Sunday morning, I asked Pastor, I know one of them was Kaylee. I asked Pastor, hey, can we bring Junior to church over? He goes, absolutely. And so what we did is right before, when I knew we were going to have the baptism, we explained, Brother Jeff and I got up and we explained what baptism was. And we came in, we brought them, set them on the front row. Why did we do that? Not to say, praise the Lord, look at Kaylee. What no, it's to say, look what Jesus Christ did. Look what he could do for you. What are we teaching him? That baptism is important. Why is it important? It's not important for salvation. We're not teaching them that. We are teaching them that it's the first step of obedience. We want our children to know what obedience is, right? We tell our children, slow obedience is disobedience. You need to learn to obey. Well, why not teach them the first step of obedience is to be baptized? Okay? We teach them to evangelize who Christ is. We teach them, we, we, uh, teach them about baptism. But then we disciple them. It says there in verse number 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What are some of those things? Number one, I think we need to teach them assurance. Our young people are insecure. 
not just our young people of this age group, but I believe in this audience tonight, several of us have dealt with insecurity at one point or another because of something. Maybe you've dealt with insecurity about a job. Maybe you've dealt with insecurity, but how many of us have maybe have dealt with insecurity about our salvation because maybe someone didn't take the time to show you this is what the Lord says. God says in Titus, he will not go back on his promises. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. And we need to teach our young people that what Jesus Christ says he will do. They need to learn about assurance. They need to learn about forgiveness. I don't know how many people, young people I've dealt with at camp or in VBS that come forward for invitation that feel they need to be saved again because they've done something wrong. Well, do you remember a time where you asked Jesus to be your Savior? Do you remember a time where Yes. Well, you don't need to do it again. Here's what you need. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to just forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to teach them that God is a forgiving God. And that God is not a God saying, Oh, you did this and ready to bash Him. No. God's a God of love and God's a God of forgiveness. They need to learn that. They also need to learn about growth and maturity. 1 Peter 2, 2 tells us, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. We can't take a newborn Christian and expect them to digest the meat. We need to start with the milk. And teach them what it means to grow and mature. And take them step by step on what it means to grow in their Christian life. I talked about giving. Talk about service. Talk about what it means to read your Bible. How to read your Bible. What it means to pray. What prayer is. Are you, we, I think we take for granted. I know I do. When I stand in front of a group of young people, what it means to pray. Some of them don't. It's our responsibility with children's ministries to teach them that. We talked about giving tonight. We need to teach them how to give. So number one, we need to have the right objective. Our objective with children's ministries ought to be to evangelize, baptize, and disciple. Because that will benefit our church. That will benefit our, our city. That will benefit our state. That will benefit our country. And I will, I will say, I dare say this, maybe that will benefit a foreign country. These young people that stood before you tonight, you never know. God may call one of these young people to another field. We can't take that for granted. So number one, the right objective. Number two, we need the right leadership. We need the right leadership. <clears throat> what I mean by that is this. Number one, children's ministries starts in the home. Soak that up for a moment. Children's ministry start in the home. Parents, if you're waiting for your child to come to know the Lord, if you're waiting for your child to know who Christ is, if you're waiting for your child to uh, learn how to forsake sin, learn how to pray, learn how to read your Bible, when they come to church, you've lost them. It starts in the home. Let me give you a... a I, I, I just found this... <laughs> someone forwarded this to me tonight, and I, I have not looked up... So I'm not going to um, wholeheartedly, uh, what do you call that, promote. But there's a thing called Solve Family Problems. And it said this. It was talking about parents have over 3,000 hours a year with their children. 
churches average 40 hours a year. And yet, parents expect a church to raise their children and expect their children to keep them on the right path. When God gave the parents responsibility for children. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. How important is the family? How important is the responsibility that God has placed on the family? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it says this. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land, whether you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily, <coughs> excuse me, as the Lord um, God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And look at verse number 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Every moment of a child's life that they are with you, parents, God says you ought to show them who he is. You ought to be showing them from God's word what it means to have a right walk, what it means to give, what it means, what salvation is, if they're at that age to understand. You see, children's ministry starts in the home, the right leadership. But number two, children's ministry is in the church as a heritage symbol. And what I mean by that is this. What's a heritage? A heritage is a legacy. I firmly believe, as long as I've been in children's ministries, is this. The life and the lifeline of a church are children. You cut off the life, the lifeline, what happens? Eventually things die. You cut off the lifeline of children's ministries, a continual outreach, church is going to die. It may not it may not die right away. It may be prolonged for years and years, but it'll, prolong, it'll, it'll just go as the status quo. I'm not here to, uh, I'm not tooting my horn, and God knows this, but I personally know of three ministries that at one point had thriving children's ministries. But for one reason or another, whether it was time, finances, worker help, inconvenience, whatever it was, that they no longer have active children's ministries and their church is dying. There's no life in it. A church that was once running a hundred no longer has midweek service, no longer has Sunday evening service. The last time I, 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 I reached out and saw what they did for Sunday morning service, they had 15. I believe, uh, there may be other factors, but I believe it's because at one point someone said, you know what, 
We need to cut the fat. We need to trim the budget. We need to do this. Let's not run the buses anymore. Let's not have Sunday school anymore. The life of the church is in the children. I'm thankful that our church has the right leadership in the fact that we have pastoral leadership who has a vision. I am thankful for our pastor. Thankful that our pastor, when I come to say, Pastor, what about this? He says, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. I'm thankful that our pastor will ride the bus. He's not above the bus. I'm thankful that our pastor will take time. This, you know, uh, you know, one Sunday morning, he was walking from Sunday school, and he took a detour, came into the junior's church, and shook hands with some of the kids that were new. Hey, I'm Pastor Travis Burke. What's your name? What's that show? That he loves the kids. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we have a church that takes time, that takes prayer, that takes money, that says, you know what, let's do this for the kids. And because out of Baptist Temple, I encourage you, please continue doing so. Don't ever get tired of these young people. Don't ever get tired of, oh, man, I got to clean up. There's a mess on the new carpet. Inconvenient. Yep. But you know what? Thank God that child was in church. Thank God that child heard the gospel. Think of what would happen in my lifetime. I sound like I'm up there getting nature. Oh, in my lifetime. (laughs) In the time that I've been involved in ministry, there have been what we would call some old war horses that have passed off on the scene and have passed the torch to people such as myself, to our pastor. We need to take the time, church, to train our young people and pass the torch to them. I'm thinking of war horses, and I don't, I'm not meaning that as a derogatory term, but I'm meaning those who've been in the ministry, those who've seen the, what it takes to be in children's ministry. I'm thinking of Mrs. Sutherland's testimony. I hear stories about it. I praise God for her testimony, what she's done, what, what she was able to accomplish, what her and her husband have done. You think of Crystal Snell. I think of my pastor growing up. He was one of those pastors that he was a jokester and a prankster every chance he got. He'd walk down to children's. He walked down, I'll tell you this quick story. He walked down to, to junior church one time. He, knew, he was getting ready to preach. He was, they were singing songs upstairs, and the song leader was like, where's pastor? I'm like, I don't know. He came downstairs, and he had a Neapolitan ice cream box. And he came downstairs, and he said, hey, guys, you want ice cream? We're like, yeah, ice cream. He goes, here you go. He put it on the, put it on the table to the workers. When they're, done, when they're done doing Sunday school, junior church, you know, give them some ice cream. Went upstairs. We had junior church. Like, pastor brought us ice cream. You ready for ice cream? Open it up. You know what it was? He took out the vanilla. He took out the strawberry and left the chocolate. And it wasn't enough for us kids. Yeah, I know, right? But we knew our pastor loved us. Our pastor never hesitated to hug us and to say, I'm praying for you and I love you. When I was struggling after I graduated high school... I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted nothing to be in the ministry, not, nothing against the ministry. I, didn't, I, I studied on my junior and senior high school uh, to be a doctor, bulked up all my sciences because I wanted to be a doctor. And my pastor put his arm around me. And he goes, 
I'm not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. He goes, but I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will do something to get a hold of your heart. He goes, because I love you, and I know God wants something to do with you. And I'm so thankful he did. I didn't last a semester in state college because I failed at every aspect because I was running from God. And it took my pastor who showed love for a young person. I'm thankful for that. We need the right objective. Evangelize, baptize, and disciple. We need the right leadership. It starts in the home. It starts with having the proper leadership in, in, our, uh, in the home and with our pastor. But lastly, let me point this out to you. We need the right tools. What do I mean by that? What does it take to have a children's ministry that is honoring and pleasing to God? Number one, it takes time. Be committed. Not everyone is cut out for children's ministry, and I understand that. But if you are involved in children's ministry, be committed. Colossians 3.17. You just write the verse down there in 1 Corinthians 10.31. We have to do everything to be honoring and pleasing to God. We have to do everything with all our might for Him. We'll have to do that. It takes, it takes time. Don't take a lazy approach to it. Not only does it take time, but it takes a team. It's not a one-man show. I've been privileged and I've been blessed to have visited different states, different ministries, where churches have said, hey, can you help us put on a VBS? Hey, can you come preach a VBS? I had a pastor contact me just this week and said, hey, we're, we're looking for a camp speaker, and you were recommended. That, that, that humbles me. I'm a nobody. And I tell every pastor this, and I, it, I, I'm a nobody. And, I, and I, ta- I don't take that lightly. I'm just someone who wants to do what God has given them the ability to do. I love working with children. The children are my heart. And I just want to do what's right. But you know it's not me. Junior church on Sunday morning over there is not Brother Price. It takes a Brother Price. It takes a Brother Jeff. It takes a Brother Matthew. It takes a Miss uh, Jacqueline. It takes a Mrs. Price. The junior churches, the, small, the, the younger junior church over there, it's not a one-man crew. It takes a team. Because as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, one, wa- one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. Let me give you an example. My wife and I had the privilege for a couple of months to go down every Sunday uh, morning to Hope and help Brother Salee uh, work in the children's ministry there. There were two children, Paige and Parker. They had older brothers, uh, two older brothers, uh, an older brother and an older sister that came with them, and, uh, but they weren't as regular as Paige and Parker. You know what thrills my heart? Miss Salee regularly tells my wife or tells me, Paige and Parker still come to church. We taught Parker. He was four at the time. We were talking about creation, teaching the children about creation, and that God made them. We taught him a little song. And he asked Mrs. Salee, how do you sing that song? She goes, I don't know. So she asked my wife. And my wife said, okay, I'll record it. She just recorded it. And for the longest time, can you play that song? Can you play that song? And now Parker goes around singing that song. You know what? You know what Hope's doing? Hope doing right now tonight? We have a children's club. Not because Brother Price did this wonderful thing. No. It's because God gave a pastor a vision. Gave Brother Slee, I want to reach children. 
God allowed me to help plant. And then God led a family down there to join the church who says, hey, you know what? We want to reach children. God uh, one plants, one waters, but what? God gives the increase. It takes a team. And because at the Baptist Temple, I want to encourage you to know this, that the children's ministry, regardless if it's bus ministry, junior church, Sunday school, master club, kids of Palooza, it's not one person. It takes a team. It not only just takes a team of workers, but it takes a team of prayer warriors. I'm sure Brother Joshua can give testimony. I know Brother Matthew can give testimony. There were Thursday nights that when we were at the end of the night, we were like, whew, how did we get through that? Because we knew there were people here in the pews praying, be those young people over there. We knew when we drove in on the bus, when we had 30 kids jumping all over the seats, didn't know who was, when, where, how, what, or why, what to do. That people were praying, be with Brother Joshua, giving them, giving them uh, wisdom on how to handle things. Be with Brother Matthew, be with Miss Bree. Takes a team. Because out of Baptist Temple, in conclusion, let me encourage you this way. Look at children as Christ looked at them. Real quick, and we'll close. Matthew chapter 18. We need to look at them as Christ looked at them. Matthew chapter 18. Beginning of verse number 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and sat him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted, and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And who shall receive one such little child in my name? What? Receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. For a second time, you can, you can go over later to uh, uh, the parallel passage in Mark chapter, Mark, chapter, um, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 where the disciples uh, were, were, were pushing them away. And Jesus said, no, he rebuked his disciples. He said, no, 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 wait, wait, bring them here. How did Jesus see children? Number one, he saw them as humble souls. So much so that he took a child and he said, you must believe as this child. What does a child do? They believe anything. They do. What is it about a child that will stand up here and their parents stand there and say, come on, jump down. What do they do? They're having faith in the one who loves them in their parent and they jump to them. Right. Why is that? Because they have faith. Right. And Christ says, be as his little child. He saw children for the humility, but not only do you see children for the humility, but he sees them as a high price for their soul. Verse uh, uh, eight, uh, 6. Who shall, shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? You offend, so, you offend a child or you restrict them because of what they believe about Jesus. He says, it were better for them that a millstone were hanged about his neck and thrown in the depths of the sea. Drown in the depths of the sea. He's saying, you take care of yourself before I come to you. That's my interpretation. That's my thought. I'd rather, 
I'd rather not deal with God one-on-one for hindering a child coming to him. That's what he's saying. You don't want to face me. A high price for their soul. Things we shouldn't talk about, we, do, we need to. The importance of children's ministry. In order to have a children's ministry that is honoring, pleasing to God, you need to have the right objective. Evangelize, baptize, disciple. You need to have the right um, tools. You need to have the right leadership. 